Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. see if anyone shows up it's an early service today let's see let's see who we got hello 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 is anyone out there hello thank you for tuning in i uh i threw a little monkey wrench into the works by changing the time today but it's jay's birthday so want to give him the day off and then so I, I said yeah I'll do a talk and then I realized that my wife has a Christmas concert she plays handbells and that's at two o'clock eastern time which is when service was and so I was like ah and so so we flipped it uh flipped it so I could do both I can do both so it's going to say on my tombstone. Here lies Josh Murray. He tried to do everything. <laughs> oh boy. So it might just be me and you. I might just be giving a talk to you, my friend. <laughs> Happy Jay's birthday to everyone. So this talk, when I get started, we'll let people um, trickle in, hopefully, due to the... Um, the change in time will will give them a little bit but normally i'm cutting it close with figuring out my talk and giving it and now like this is i didn't even like finish my talk like my later notes are just bullet points that are just saying like talk on this but i have no idea what i'm doing because i robbed myself of two hours by making this excuse me earlier so although so i would think that me and your children have a birthday closer to jesus than jay does so yeah so it'll be half half plans half stream of consciousness um uh i was telling jay as i was planning this uh, and I'll go into it, obviously, but I think the book of Ecclesiastes is to me what Galatians is to Jay. Like whenever I read it, I was like, this is the greatest. This this is the book of all books. Um, so I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know what that says about me, but it is. It's like my favorite. Every time I read it, I'm like, Ugh. and but it is slightly depressing because it says like, um. Like nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. And then you're reading it and it's talking about like um, rich people exploiting poor people and good people dying young and wicked people living on. You're like, oh no, nothing has changed ever. So yeah, Jay's, uh, it's his birthday today. So we're giving him the week off and I'm going to do my best to, uh, to tackle some issues that are close to me and I feel uh sadly have been getting closer to people around me so we'll be talking about grief grieving and and death and um yeah the book of Ecclesiastes yeah and um just so everyone knows C.S. Lewis did write a lot about the grief and loss process and C.S. Lewis knows infinitely more than I do. So um, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be speaking from personal experience, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a deep topic and much, much smarter people have discussed it more than I have, but I feel like today we'll get like maybe a little bit more real than um, others allow themselves to because I don't have any sort of name or agenda. I just want, you know, to talk about it and help people heal. 
So I don't know too much C.S. Lewis stuff outside of like, um, was it Narnia, the screw tape letters, um, mere Christianity, which I have never really gotten into. I, I do so miserable with nonfiction. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's something I wish I could change, but I, I need like plot and I need it to be moving somewhere. And I just feel like it's a big weakness for me to like only be able to deal with fiction. But sometimes though, fiction is more real than nonfiction. And that is where I build my home. A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis is worth a read. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. We're, we gave them about 10 minutes. There's a, a handful of us, you know. We have almost uh, half the number of the disciples, and that's good enough for me. So um, let's uh, kind of dive into it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Three of them left. All right. So we have a quarter of the disciples. <laughs> um, so... Like I said, uh, so we'll get started. Today's Jay's birthday, so everyone wish him a happy birthday. Um, and so that's why I'm here, because I he's with the kids enjoying his birthday. And I said, you know what? I got you, man. And so the um, just like with a lot of my talks, they start with ideas rattling around in my head, and they often are not connected. And then as other thoughts fade away, the ones that remain, I start to think like, no, maybe they are connected and I just have to find out the connection. And so the two images I had, I had in my head was one is um, a quote. I believe it's by Samuel Beckett, the playwright. Um, someone could check that. I'm, I'm almost sure. And it said it was said to me years ago um, when I first started to submit my writing to different publications, mostly like short stories. I didn't start like shopping around a novel until earlier this year. So this is like years ago when um, with short stories and I would get rejected and everything. My friend Bill, he said to me, fail again, fail better. And from that moment, it was like, and he said it just in, an encouragement, like fail again, fail better. Um, probably, probably even mentioning it, thinking that I would know the reference. Um, but it just it was like a life-changing epiphany that I had. So like fail again, fail better. And that it's I hold close to me. Um, a lot of people that know me often do joke that I'm far more comfortable with failure than with success. You know, that kind of that line from um, The Dark Knight, which I don't really like the movie, sorry. But um, when the Joker says he's like a dog chasing a car and he wouldn't know what to do with it once he got it. That's kind of how I feel with like success or like winning stuff. Um, I'm far, far more comfortable like losing and just being like, hey, it was fun <laughs> while well, I did it. So, um, so having failure and I don't mean this in like a, a self-pitying way, but having failure be like a, a big part of my life, that motto sticks with me. And then uh, the other thought that I had in my mind was what happens to our perception of people when people pass away? Like when they pass away, our perceptions of them change. And that's very interesting to me. And we've all experienced it in our lives, or we've even heard people maybe complain, like, just because they died, they're not a saint, right? That happens a lot with social media, because social media can't allow people to be moved or touched by some someone's existence. So if someone has done great things and they pass away, everyone has to just dig up all, like, the crappy stuff they've done, and they've... Uh, and they put it out there, like, how can you like her or him? They've done this, blah, 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 blah. And I feel like there was a time where I was like that, very much so. And there's a line by um, the band Death Cab for Cutie, who are in the news now because they're doing a tour with Postal Service. If you like indie music, it's like a whole big thing. Um, some like 
kind of like a Taylor Swift esque Ticketmaster issues with pre sales, and it's 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 a big thing. So, but they had to have a line uh, in the song Styrofoam Plates, in which um, I don't think it's autobiographical, but I think uh, the lead singer Ben Gibbard is um, maybe singing from his friend's point of view, and uh, the friend's dad was an alcoholic and he passed away and it's just reflections on that. But there's a line in that song that said um, he was a bastard in life and he's a bastard in death. And so um, that kind of was a, a, a line that I kind of thought was true. It was like, yeah, just someone doesn't turn into a saint just because they passed away. If they were a bastard in life, then they're a bastard in death too. And um, but then having experienced, um, like loss myself, I see how not true that is. The first person I ever like truly lost in my life was my friend, Kate. And this was, um, was it going to be like 16 or 17 years ago now? And to like, kind of like glorify her in her tragic passing was easy because she was just... She was young. She was great. She was full of life. She was just like vibrant. Um, and she, she was young. She like died maybe a week before her 21st birthday or something like that. Um, and so like, yeah, that's easy to look at her and pick. Oh, she's, she's a saint. She's amazing. And I still believe that to this day, but then, um, in 2020, my dad, my dad passed away. And that's where things kind of got a little rocky and weird because me and my dad did not have like the best relationship. He was always, always in my life. He wasn't estranged or anything like that. But what happened was a brief backstory is my dad, when he was maybe a year or two older than I am now. So he was young, like full of energy, full of life. He ran marathons. I think he ran like five marathons. He used to cycle 60 miles on his bike. He used to play golf. He used to do snorkeling, scuba dive, like all that sort of stuff. And then when he was like 42 or so, so I'm 39, right? So it was uh, 42. He got sick just randomly. Nobody knows what it was. It was just some viral infection. And it just like completely like dehabilitated. Like he just couldn't do anything. He was on disability. Like his, his bones started to deteriorate. He lost cartilage in his hip, his vertebrae and his back were fusing together. Like it was just, just, just downhill. But the thing is he stayed alive for another 30 something years. Oh, maybe exactly 30 years. And, um, and at first he was very like, no, like power through. And he had such a good mindset and he was like inspirational to people. Cause like, Oh wow. You're still doing as much as you can. You're like, life's not getting you down. It was very, very much. And then somewhere maybe um, 10 years into the sickness and things weren't getting any better. Um, basically just depression took over um, just completely. And it turned him into some somebody that no one recognized. And so you had friends distancing themselves. We have family members getting hurt and they're distancing themselves. We're getting hurt because even though I very much understand depression, I struggle with it. His was at a level that I couldn't and still really can't comprehend um, that it just completely blinded him to everything else in his life. Uh, any good, anything, anything that he could still do w just was not good enough for him because he couldn't do it as well as he could when he was, you know, 40. And this lasted to like when he was like 72 and he was like almost like upset that he couldn't play golf or run marathons. And it's like that, like, even if you were healthy, you would have been past that age. And it was just, but he just changed and he turned into very curmudgeon -y. He, um, his life was filled with like, like backwards, like rear view mirror, like mindset. Um, and so like one thing that I would 
because we had a, a teasing, joking relationship when we were good, when not, we were like arguing. Um, but other than that, we kind of, we always, uh, us Murrays are very sarcastic. And uh, and so we would always like tease each other. And I would give him a hard time because he loved Les Mis, but he would always focus on um, uh, who is the, the character that just like, she gets her hair cut, right? Anne Hathaway plays her. Um, he liked the movie, but he liked the play, the music from the play more. Is that Fontaine maybe or Cosette or who, like whoever? But she sings the line that like, um, I used to dream my life would be so much more than this hell that I'm living. And like, that was like his, his mindset. Uh, and he just loved that line. And I would tease him. I was like, dad, the play is about like forgiveness and grace and mercy and changing your life and turning back your your ways like Jean Valjean's like an incredible character and even like Javert has this crazy change of heart which of course leads to um well I don't no spoilers but anyways uh in he even in his tragedy has a change of heart and I would just be like how are you that's the message you're getting from Les Mis is that your life is just hell and it used to not be um and so it does get very grating on you but then when he died it like you don't see that anymore. And it's so it's it's not like a oh, they're a saint now. It's just like you just don't see that stuff anymore. You'll remember it, and me, and my mom, and my sister will talk about like, oh yeah, remember dad used to get like that. But overall, that's not the focal point anymore. And um, and then sadly, I've had some other friends in my life just recently i'm talking about like last week my best friend lost his dad uh just about the same age my dad was um his his was very very unexpected my dad's passing was like a slow train that was coming for a very long time for like over a year i was getting calls like oh go to the hospital your dad's there now he's not gonna last and then he would last for another year and come home and he would he was wasting away like deteriorating but he was Still, but it was just very, the writing was on the wall for a very long time. But my friend John just, he just got a phone call, like, uh, what, or, um, he tried to contact his dad and he couldn't, it was very, very tragic. Um, then my, um, like the head boss at my job just lost his mom, um, three days ago. So it is just very surrounding me right now. And so that's what got me thinking of what changes with our perceptions of people that pass away. I see that with um, my mom didn't have a great relationship with her dad. Um, and now when, now that he's passed little things remind her of him and the, there's like a fondness there that wasn't around too much in um, when they were both alive at the same time. And so my mom will think of him fondly. And so I was like, what is that? So I have that idea and the fail again, fail better, just rattling in my head. And I was like, I guess this is what the talk is going to be. Then we're going to try to marry those, those ideas. And so what I think happens when someone dies is in thinking about say my dad when he was alive and you're dealing with him you're seeing everything that has brought him to that moment right all the pain the trauma the regret it like weighs on on them and it dictates their attitude and their behavior their interactions and we all have that and then when someone passes away all of that's gone and the only thing that remains is who they were in their truest sense before all of life just swallowed them up. And what you dealt with was that, like that everything that just clung on them in a metaphysical sense is what you're dealing with when you are both alive. And it, it drives you crazy because you can't see past that. But when they die, 
that stuff just melts away and you're just left with who they were. And so your eyes open and you go like, oh no, my dad was just like me. He was just a dude. He was just, you know, like, so I'll have moments where I'll have a friend over and we're sitting in the backyard in the summertime eating food or, you know, uh, I don't really drink. So I'll be drinking like a seltzer or something like that. And he'll just like ask me like, Oh, like what's going on with your lawn over there? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. It's just the uh, something underground is ripping up my lawn. It's driving me crazy. And then I'll like stop. and like, I've heard my dad have the same conversation with his friends back when I was younger. Like, it's just like, no, he was just a regular person. Like it's all of, all of that extra stuff is stripped away. And you're just like, wow, no, he was like just a, a person, just a guy. And he had feelings and he had fears and he had doubts and he overcompensated and he was insecure and, and all of that happened. But I, we can't really see that when people are alive. Like even now in revolution, we talk about grace and love and um, it's kind of what we're going to get to with the fail again, fail better aspect of this talk is it's everyone knows how much of a struggle it is to see that inner person when all you could see is that exterior what life has like molded them into and um so i learned of a a buddhist concept of death and i wish that i could tell you that i learned it in some scholastic hibbity hoopla, but really it was the show, the good place, which I cannot recommend enough. I was weary of it because it's a, a network sitcom type thing. I don't really go for them, but it's just incredible. And it's everything that you think it's not going to be. And they talk about this concept this Buddhist concept of death in which the character says, Picture a wave in the ocean, right? It's a, it's a wave. And there's a time in that wave's existence in which you can see it. You could measure it. There's volume to it. There's mass to it. There's movement to it. But then eventually the wave crashes on the shore and all of that is gone. But all that remains is the water that comprised of the, like that the wave was made out of. And so that's very similar to the concept that I'm talking about now, obviously, because I got it from that. But, um, right, so when someone dies, their wave, their form, their mass, their energy, all of that is gone, but their water still remains, right? The, their essence, their the impact, their lingering effect and outreach is still there, even though that it doesn't have a physical form anymore. And... Um, Along this line, because of because um, I love movies and everything too, there's a, a Japanese uh, animated movie called Princess Mononoke. It's by Studio Ghibli, who makes the greatest movies. And if you ever find yourself like, oh, I don't really like anime, like this is, it's incredible. So, but Princess Mononoke uh, starts off uh, since it's it's Japanese, um, it's very much in the the Shinto spirit. So. Everything, there's like a God and everything. And the movie starts off with this big, massive type of beast. And it's just covered in worms. And um, it's just gnarly with red eyes. And just, um, it poisons everything it touches. And eventually, this beast becomes a threat. And this is not a spoiler. I'm telling you, that happens in the first five minutes of the movie. And they put this beast down. And when the beast dies... Um, all those worms and everything dissipate and they see it was just an injured beast, uh, like a, like a warthog type pig. Um, that was a God. It was like a spirit of the forest, but what happens, it was injured. And in that injury, the sickness and, and anger and hatred overtook them. And that's where all the worms came from. But when it died and all of that just like dissipated and all was left, that was that core um, creature. And so it has a very similar feel to that, the wave analogy. And, you know, that's kind of what it made me think of was that, that animated scene and everything just dissipating and the, the, what's left is what was there. And, um, 
And that just shows that a little bit of bad over time can fester and change who someone is on the outside. You know, it really um, and changes our perspective of them. And the book of Ecclesiastes, which we will talk about a little bit, even has a line that says like, you know, a dead fly in perfume makes the whole thing stink, right? So you have perfume and then you have just this little dead fly and that little bit ruins everything, right? One bad apple spoils the bunch. Like it's that, that same mindset. Um, and this is taken wildly out of context, but dealing with the books of wisdom and poetry in the Bible, um, the song of Solomon, they have, a uh, there's a line that says, um, you know, to not let the catch it up uh, to try to catch the foxes that invade the vineyard and destroy the vineyard by eating all the grapes before they have a chance to ripen. And to me, it has a similar concept is that what we're walking around with, what I'm walking around with, what Zoe's walking around, Zachary, um, you know, William Grimm, like whatever we're walking around with is what's left of our vineyard after the foxes have, have gotten to it. And then when we pass, all that's going to be left is that like pure untouched vineyard of who we, we actually are. And um, in the same breath, Paul kind of references, maybe not exactly, but um, in, in passing theory, the book of Ecclesiastes, when in second Corinthians, he talks about our lives and our struggle, it's light and momentary pain, which of course to us feels crushing and massive, but in the long run, it is light and momentary pain, right? Because everything is short and fleeting. Um, second Peter, uh, what is, he might be writing a letter to Jude maybe. And, um, I don't know if he means this in a literal sense, but makes the comment that a thousand years is like a day to God and a day is like a thousand years. You know, it's just God's time is different. And so to kind of see if I could find a way to emphasize how light and momentary it is, I did the most basic crude math, please, if anyone wants to check this put it in the comments with the correct math, but in theory, so say a thousand years is like a day to God, right? So one day in God's eyes is 8,760,000 hours, right? But on earth, my dad's life was 630,720 hours out of 8,760,000. So in God's eyes, like my dad's life was 15 minutes long or something like that, like 13.8 minutes long. Um, that's light and momentary. You know, it's just think of 15 minutes and in, in, we've already been streaming in God's point of view. We've already been streaming two of my dad's lifetimes. Like it's um, again, my math could be wrong, but I have uh, one of my best friends is studying to be a mortician, uh, mortuary science. And I'm not going to go into any details because if anyone has lost a loved one, you don't want to hear any of this stuff. Um, but in talking to her, we also, we often have the comment, like, how are we alive? Like we're such like crude, fragile creatures. Um, how are we alive? And she's the one that's studying. She's like, I have no idea. Like, it's just, so light and momentary and we're so fragile. Um, so, and all of these factors I think is why the passing of a loved one um, changes our perspective of things. And it gives us a point of view that we wouldn't be able to have otherwise. Um, I don't, so there's a show it's now on HBO max and it's a very weird thing to mention in like a service, but it's called 101 places to party before you die. <laughs> and it's just, it's a travel show of uh, two comedians. One's from long Island, woohoo, uh, John Gabris. And then uh, his best friend, Adam Pally, who is in a lot of stuff, 
the first time I ever recognized him was in Iron Man 3. So in my head forever, he's from Iron Man 3. But I think he's from Happy Endings. He's in Sonic 2. But basically, they just go around and they're just like living life and partying in different locations and getting paid to do it. It's the best gig in the world. And it seems shallow at first. But then you learn that one of the reasons why this show is taking place is because John Gabris, one of the comedians, his dad passed away. And what John noticed from that was that his dad had a whole bookshelf of books that he planned to read once he retired and had time to do it. And then he passed before he could. So it's just this bookshelf of all his future plans that just never came to fruition. And that to them was like, wow, life is really short. We need to enjoy ourselves. We need to just go rip it up um, a little bit. And, um, and you'll find, we'll find similar themes in the book of Ecclesiastes um, also, but that's just another example of how, when everything else is just stripped away, when, when the wave is gone and it's just the water and all the, the, the worms and foxes and everything are gone. Like all that's left is just this pure understanding and empathy and, and grace for um, the person, person that path passed. And in Colossians three, um, I don't really read, from the Bible, but like I said, I didn't have that much time to piece this together. Um, so, uh, Paul, right? He wrote, uh, yeah, Colossians, right? Um, so in verse, uh, in chapter three, verse five, he says, uh, so put all evil things out of your life. Then he mentions sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you, wanting things that are evil and greed. Um, just don't get bogged down on those specifics, right? Um, and a, but now also put these things out of your life. Anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others, using evil words when you talk, do not lie to each other. Um, so like Paul's saying, you know, and he's talking about in our relationship uh, and studying uh, Jesus's teachings and living that life. That's what he's referring to is like put to death all of that stuff. Um, uh, so, so always, and then to balance that, so put to death all that stuff and bring life to um, showing mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Get along with each other and forgive each other. Uh, if someone does wrong uh, to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. Do all these things, but most important, love each other. Love is what holds you together, right? So in someone's passing, all of that happens automatically in our mind, right? Um, so when when my dad passed, all of his anger and pettiness and arguments that we had, his, his depression, his um, skewed outlook, his regrets, all of that got put to death with him. And all that remained was all, all of that other stuff was the love that he had, um, humility he had, the kindness he had, um, not holding grudges, like, cause he held grudges in his life. But when he, um, past like all that stuff is gone and all that remains is is that and that all happens automatically when someone passes away and i think that is why our views change and it's not that we make saints out of um people that have passed away it's just that it happens automatically and we can't help but recognize it so, um, and again, so with all that, only the water remains. Um, so this is why sometimes when someone dies, you find yourself questioning, um, what you believe in. And I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, I don't believe in God. Maybe some people do. Maybe some people get so hurt by someone, um, passing away that they, um, that they question what they believe. But for me, 
what it was is um like say i never really believed in reincarnation um i don't maybe when i was younger and stupider um i maybe scoffed at the idea but you know i'm gonna be 40 next year so we're talking about like something that i probably scoffed at 20 years ago in such a passing thing that i don't remember it um but i wouldn't put it past my younger self but i just never thought much of it and then and i'm sure people um listening to this and watching this if you have had someone that passed away you might find yourself in a similar situation where you're seeing things uh that remind you of them or almost seem like a message from them um and it and it makes you think of like no that are they like talking to me from beyond and part of you wants to scoff at it or say it's just coincidence, but then it gets to a point to me in the fact that it just being a mere coincidence is less likely than it being a miracle. Like it makes less sense for it to be a coincidence. One example, and I swear to you that this is like a true story. I'm not exaggerating it. I wish my wife was here to say it. So it's not that typical thing that pastors do sometime where they punch up a story a little bit. This is like true as true can be. So my dad's name, who you say was Al? It still is Al, but so his name's Al, right? Um, all growing up, he drove a red sports uh, Jeep Cherokee. Um, I mean, maybe not all, but like high school up through when he couldn't really drive anymore kept that thing going and it was kind of like a pride and joy for him. One of those cars that he trusted, like, Oh, it's my faithful car, but you're like, oh, it's really not that good. And it gives you a lot of grief. I don't know why you trust it so much. Um, but the thing about my dad, he loved Hawks, like oh, any bird of prey really, but like Hawks, like love them. Like, you know, it's uh, his email address, Hawk guy and all this stuff. And one day after he passed, um, it was, it would have been, he passed away in November. So it might've been the spring afterwards. Um, my wife was working upstairs and I went to just say hi to her. Cause we were bro both working from home that day. And as we're talking, she's listening to music on shuffle on, um, Spotify and, um, the song, uh, you could call me Al by Paul Simon comes on. And so of course that's, it's on shuffle. She loves that song. It's on, it's there. Right. So, but as she does it, um, that song's playing, it's maybe been playing for a minute and I go, Oh my God, look at that. And it's a Hawk. Like, and I, um, Hawks do live in this general area. Like not really, I'm not, we're not upstate. We're on long Island. So it's not as, frequent as if you lived upstate i'm like oh then i make it made a joke kind of like oh there's my dad like you know and then i'm not even joking a red sports uh jeep cherokee uh jeep cherokee sport red same exact look as my dad's jeep drove by at that same time so a hawk flew by a, his red jeep dr drove by and a song about his name was playing all at once and to me like the odds of that happening coincidentally get to be so more like razor thin that it would equal the same as being a miracle of some sort, but stuff like that, I would never would have thought like, um, Oh, my dad talking to me from beyond the grave or I never would have thought like that when he was still alive about other people that have passed away that I, I knew that maybe I wasn't as close as uh, uh, close to. My friend John was telling me that like him and his dad used to talk about like um like space and meteor showers and all that stuff. And then like the day after his dad died, he witnessed like a bunch of shooting stars and everything's like it's like that's not a coincidence. That can't be a coincidence. Um and I guess the the point might be getting a little muddied, but I'm hoping that you're you're following a little bit that it's just like how much everything you believe kind of gets rocked. And they start to question, like, I don't know what, what I, I don't know, maybe I do believe in this. Like, maybe when I see a hawk, and then it happened when I'm, so I'll be reading the Bible with that now, 
and then Jesus will be talking about, um, oh no, Elijah was here. You guys just didn't recognize him. And then it says like that the Bible, uh, that the disciples knew that he was talking about um, uh, Elijah and John uh, being John the Baptist being Elijah. And growing up before this, I would have thought, oh, he's speaking metaphorically. But now all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, maybe it really is. Maybe he's saying like literally maybe reincarnation is like a thing. Um, and so I know I'm shooting from the hip here. So I'm hoping that you're, you're following me. We're going to get to Ecclesiastes soon. I just wanted to kind of like pave, pave the way, uh, and also, you know, share that in your grief, if you're finding yourself thinking of these things that maybe you haven't thought of before, that you're not alone, that we're all the same and we're, we all get rocked in the same way and our minds change and we do kind of stop seeing the physical, um, like the, the stuff that was blinding us to who the person really was that we lost and, and we're, we're seeing them and how our, our minds just, uh, change. So, um, now with the passing of my dad, I don't know if it's just timing wise or, or anything, but it did kind of sp spiral me into what I would call like a midlife crisis, but I don't mean like a buy a sports car, cheat on your wife type midlife crisis. I mean, a literal, like, all right, my dad died when he was 72. My friend John's dad died when he was 73. I'm 39. John's 40. Like this is like our, the, our midlife, like, um, and then all of a sudden I start to think of, oh, and then I retire at, 65 and then so i get what seven years before i die like and so it just spirals and my and so it is kind of like a, a midlife crisis that i've been been struggling with um and so when i was preparing this i you know was looking trying to find scriptures on death uh and stuff but i didn't want you're like oh wipes the the tears away from their eyes i didn't want the revolution uh revelations version of death. I didn't even want it to really talk about heaven or an afterlife because, and I'm not trying to persuade anybody if that's where you find comfort, that is like, use it, cling to any comfort you have in losing somebody. Uh, I believe as we showed here that God's time and our time is different. So what brought me peace with my dad dying is that I felt like when he got to for lack of a better word, when he got to heaven, when he got to the afterlife, he's not waiting for us when he's, when he gets there, we're all there together because our earthly time and God's time is different. So if I do truly feel, if you lost somebody, you're together already, um, on earth, you're waiting to get there, but outside time, if you watch the good place in the Jeremy Baramy, <laughs> you guys are together. Um, but it's it's um this looking for bible um mentionings uh like mentions of death and how people process it it's what sent me to uh ecclesiastes and on my ipad i'm pointing as if it's not off camera but just pretend there's an ipad there um i have a um like the oxford study bible with all like the really interesting footnotes and um it's it's funny because Ecclesiastes, there is a theory that it is kind of like Solomon's midlife crisis. Um, you know, Solomon kind of got very into living a hedonistic life uh, because he felt that everything was meaningless and, and pointless and he just wanted to have a good time and, and rip it up, kind of similar to what I was saying about 101 Places to Party before you die that show on HBO max. Um, and when I read it, I was like, Oh no, it is. That's why I relate to it so much. It has to be that um, maybe, you know, some biblical scholar, like I love this guy, Dan uh, McClellan, I believe. I don't, I hope that I'm not um, butchering his name. I post him on my stories all the time. I think Jay has also, uh, I would love to have a conversation with him here. I'm not too worried about him finding my talk because it wouldn't be that 
um, obvious, but also I don't think he could really rip apart what I'm saying about the Bible, because when he does that to people, they're saying the Bible says this, and they're very matter of fact, but my whole stance on the Bible is, I don't know, <laughs> this is what I read and get from it. So I would never portray it as fact. So I don't think he would really have much to um, rip apart because you would just be saying like, oh, this guy that claims to not know anything also doesn't know anything, <laughs> but his stuff is awesome. And I highly recommend um, watching it. Uh, next time I, Next time I, I post uh, him in my story, maybe just click and follow it. It'll blow your mind. It's great. Um, so maybe someone of his studying could be like, yeah, that's not from a midlife crisis. But there is a theory in some um, like academic circles that the book of Ecclesiastes was written after Solomon lost his throne. Like God took away the throne from him um, at, towards like the later end of his life. And so the theory is that he's just kind of, this is what's left of him is, and he's like thinking on, on his life. And that's why he's seeing like, wow, everything I did was so pointless. Everything is so meaningless. Um, you know, I took so much pride in how wise I was, but it doesn't mean anything. I took so much pride in how rich I was, but it doesn't mean anything. Um, and it actually kind of reminds me of um, the Coldplay song, um, Viva La Vida, right? Is that the name of the song? I love the album. I just can't remember if that's the name of the song or and the album. But if you listen to that song, it's very similar. To, it's about a king that like loses his throne and he's just wandering around the streets, like reflecting on it. And um, that's really what reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so, like I said, Ecclesiastes to me is like my Galatians, and. Um, Cause I just love it. I, I could see myself like almost every talk, like using this book. Um, and a lot of the stuff is really, um, I don't know if there's really answers in it or if, if the, the, the writer, um, it seems that it's Solomon King Solomon's words, but I don't know if he wrote it. It might just be somebody saying like, Oh, these are the lessons that I learned from Solomon. Um, so the speaker um, gives some really interesting like thoughts out there, such as, um, you know, in, in death, that's when, like I was saying, all of that stuff gets stripped away and what's left is your core essence and your, your, who you really are uh, almost like a, your name is memorialized, who you are is memorialized. So the speaker is saying, is that better than being born then? Right. Because when you're born, you have nothing, but when you're died, like that is who you are, you know? Um, so in that sense is a funeral even, even better than a wedding. And that kind of like got me thinking, I always like this lyric um, by this band named Dawes. I believe the song is uh, when my time comes, which is, is really great. But uh, the lead singer says, um, if heaven was all that was promised to me, why shouldn't I just pray for death? You know, cause it's that kind of teaching that I feel like we, we get in a lot of churches and circles in which everyone seems to be living for this afterlife and ignoring their time on earth or like treating it so poorly, you know, like we're almost like uh, kind of what Jay has talked about with Jesus says that they'll know us by our love but then we're over here hating and judging and, and everything all in hopes of an afterlife in which we'll be rewarded for it. But it's like, well, if that's so great, why don't we just pray for death? Why are we wasting all this time here on earth? Um, and, um, but the interesting thing that I found about the book of Ecclesiastes is it's very, as much as I agree with it, it also challenges me because it's the anti me and how I get when I'm depressed. I've shared with you. Um, I kind of have, I, I don't say this with pride. It's just, I'm being honest with you that this outlook that I tend to have in life is um, taken from the book, no country for old men. And I do feel that maybe, um, you know, taking life lessons from Cormac McCarthy is a dangerous tightrope that, that I do walk because he's, um, you know, not the most positive person, but in the, in the, 
um, in the book and the movie, because they're almost identical, um, you have the main bad guy and he's sitting across from somebody and, he, and he's got a gun pointed at them. And he asks them, he goes, if everything that you followed in your life, all the principles that you believed in led you to this point where you're on the other side of my gun, what good was it? What It was useless. What good was it? And so uh, in my mental states that I get to, I do find that. I get very nihilistic, which I've shared with you guys. And I'm just like, what's the point? None of it matters. You could be a great person and people still won't trust you. or They'll still treat you like terribly. And so where this challenges me, where the book of Ecclesiastes challenges me is um, he seems to find hope in the meeting meaningless. You know, he it tells people like enjoy life. And it's like one of the, if you follow my uh, Instagram, it's one of the out of context quotes that I put when, when he is just basically like, so enjoy your useless life with your wife and enjoy your meaningless existence but he's like not being biting and sarcastic at least the way i look at it he's literally saying like it doesn't mean anything so just like give it meaning like have like just live your life and enjoy it um because death is the great equalizer right it's the great common denominator that we all have you know is we're we're all just breath and one day that breath will stop and, you know, to dust will return. So we have to enjoy life. And this is, these are lessons that we could get out of the passing of loved ones, right? That's again, back to the 101 uh, places to party before you die. That spurred because he looked at his dad's bookshelf and he was like, I need to live life. I need to do it like, because this is fleeting and useless and meaningless. So what am I? not living it up for. And, um, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a great line and he says, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Is it not? You know? Um, and so I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. This is where my notes have run out because I had to sign on to, um, do this talk. So right now it's just, like bullet points. And, um, you know, it's been almost an hour of me rambling and talking in circles and probably not, um, making much sense, but, um, one kind of interesting thing that I learned in, um, uh, actually from that, that one, uh, biblical scholar that I mentioned earlier is in the book of Genesis, there are, two creation accounts and I never looked at it like that because I didn't know the scholarship behind it. I always looked at, you know, in the beginning, you know, like God created on day one, boom, 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 day six, man, and done. And then I thought in chapter two, I believe it is that it just goes into more detail of those days. Like it extrapolates them more but apparently that is not the case. Apparently it is a different creation story in which God is acting more like a creator going through trial and error. And that's kind of how um, we get Eve, right? Because he makes Adam and then is like, no, huh? All right. So I made this, this man to like take care of everything, but he needs help. And so that's kind of like, and here, is this going to help? And Adam's like, oh, that's a bird. That's not really going to help. He's like, oh, oh, that's a cat. Eh, it's cute. I love it, but it's not going to help. And so that's how like almost seemingly how all the cre uh, creatures of the earth and land and sea and sky get created. And then God's like, all right, so none of that did the trick. Um, and then he's like, oh, I'll just make someone from him and that's where I'm going to leave that because I don't want to get into dominion over hibbity hoopla and, and all that stuff. And that, that, um, that seems to get abused so that men could be like, no, submit to me and all that nonsense. But the reason that I bring that up is because I learned that the book of Genesis also just from what I read in my, um, in the Oxford study Bible, <clears throat> 
is it seems to have a bunch of authors and it was almost like a collection of written and oral stories from just generations. And that's why you get different um, creation stories because some were, oh, it was this. And some were like, no, it, it wasn't just boom, boom, boom. It was God was trying all this stuff. And it gets passed down through generations and collected. And that's how you get the book of Genesis. And there's a few other aspects in that book that are seemingly conflicting unless you look at it um, from that point of view. And um, so thinking of that type of mindset, when I'm reading Ecclesiastes, I'm seeing like, oh, that is also the God that this person is seeing is a God that isn't doing like day one, boom, day two, boom, day three, but more of a trial and error. And uh, he even gets to a point of saying like, with the way that God is running things, we can't find, we can't make any sense of it. None of it makes sense. It's all meaningless. It's all useless. And um, that I feel like, you know, you take that kind of midlife crisis slash depression soaked person that lost his throne and he's just in the city that he used to, to run and he's walking around and in his mind, the God that he grew up with was someone that was like, uh, try this. Nope. This is very good. This is good. Oh, I regret making that. And so he's just kind of like, that's why good people die young and wicked people live for a long time because we can't make any sense out of any of this. Um, and for him to be able to find hope in that is really like inspiring to me um, that he could be like, no, everything, everything sucks. Everything is meaningless and everything is pointless. So like, just be happy. Just love who you love, love your family, spend time with it. Like, you know, spend time with your partner and your useless existence in this useless world and just make the best out of it. Um, and I think that's really um, powerful and, and nice. And so to bring up the, uh, again, my original idea of fail again, fail better. I didn't forget about it is in the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the teacher even, um, suggests failing, <laughs> like basically saying that, you know, the people that are overly self-righteous and strive to be perfect, um, it just leads to self-destruction. So make mistakes, fail and fail again and fail better. He doesn't say that. That's just me tying it all in. Um, and so that is something that we um, experience in, in our lives. And I just want to um, emphasize to not throw the baby out with the bathwater because showing love and mercy and grace to people I believe just as Jay believes that is the way to do things. And when we fail at that, it is not a failure in the system. It's not a loophole to find an exploit of, no, I love everybody, but this person sucks and I hate them and screw them. Um, that's not how it works. It's not a pick and choose. Whenever we, when you hear me go on a rant and I cannot show any compassion and grace to, for certain politicians, it's a failure on my part. It's not, I'm not justified in doing it. There's no rationale to, to support me showing love and mercy to everybody, except for the people that I don't like. It is me failing at grace and mercy, but don't take that as like, no, what? No, I already screwed it up. So forget it. I'm just going to throw it all away and go back to my old ways and judge everybody. It's like, no, you failed. And you will fail again, but the next time you do, you'll be better at it and you won't fail as hard. You'll get, you'll be one step further ahead. So fail again and fail better. Yeah, you didn't show grace and mercy. Yeah, you lost your temper when you should be embracing them. Um, you know, Zoe shared a, a great story uh, when they gave their talk of their, you know, there was just this hateful man in downtown uh, in his, um, in, sorry, in their, um, their town in Canada. And, um, Zoe wanted to show mercy and, um, grace, but all they did is they kind of, Oh, see you. Zoe. um, I love you. And, um, 
I'm stealing your story to make my point. And, you know, they um, did not show the love and grace and mercy that they wanted to. Um, and s- some good came out of it in the sense of it got the, the hateful person to stop spewing hate for, you know, 40 minutes or so. But as we know from knowing and loving Zoe and as we've heard from me and Jay on Zoe's character, it's like that was a momentary failure of Zoe on Zoe's part. But Zoe didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater then. Next time they'll fail again, they'll fail better. And that's that's how many stories do we have like that? And so um, so that's where, where it comes in is, you know, everything is useless and meaningless and everything sucks, but um, that's also a great thing. And that means we should just make the most out of it and, and love life and do our best to be good and show love and show grace and show mercy. And when we fail to not give up and to try again. And the next time we will fail better. And, um, and in doing so, uh, I could go back to no country for old men, um, to wrap this up because in learning these lessons from people that have passed away and we could see who they really are and how it moves us. And all of a sudden we learn empathy and, and um, grace and understanding, and we learn how to walk in someone's shoes. It is um, <laughs> someone wrote uh, that their mom says life sucks, and then you die. <laughs> it kind of is true, but that doesn't mean that it. We have to suck the whole time and be miserable. Like, like I, and this is something I'm struggling with. So it's not like I'm not talking to you from a place of being beyond it. I'm like, I'm in the chat with you guys hearing me talk to her. I'm talking to myself right now. And um, so if we could use the loss and of our, our loved ones and seeing and learning, like I said, that empathy and understanding and grace and walking in their shoes, it reminds me of um, a scene in No Country for All Men in which the main character shares a dream that they have. And it's probably my favorite thing that's ever been written in the history of uh, literature. Um, is they share this dream with their wife and in their dream the character sees his dad and it's dark and it's cold and he sees his dad on horseback and his dad's carrying a horn and in that horn is fire um because that's you know in olden times you used to make a fire and they had a way at when there were moving camps they would take the coals and stuff so they wouldn't have to keep uh, creating a fire. They would carry it with them and then use that. And he said that he knew that um, he said, my dad, he just walked on past. He didn't say anything. He just kept walking, just walked on past. But I knew that he was going out into the darkness and into the cold and he was going to make a place for me. And I knew that when I got there, he would be there. And then I woke up. Right. So that's kind of what I'm saying. If we could use those lessons that we're learning um, in our changed view of when someone passes away, it is no different than them leading the, the way for us to to show us the path to teach us how to fail and fail again and fail better until we get to where they're leading us. And they'll be waiting for us and they'll be carrying the fire and there'll be warmth and light. And, um, so that's, uh, my conclusion. There's no better way to conclude that than stealing from Cormac McCarthy, <laughs> like the, the smartest writer on the planet. So, um, yeah, th- this was a, a bit of a struggle. Like I said that, um, literally I, I ran out of time to even make my notes. So I was flying a little bit, um, fast and loose, but I hope you guys were able to follow it and understand what I was saying. Um, because you're definitely not alone if you're going through all this, this grief and loss. And if you're ever feeling in your midlife crisis or everything sucks and life sucks and then you die, it's like, yeah, no, the Bible says that life says life sucks and then you die, but it's better to be a a living dog than a dead lion. So, um, so just live and love and, uh, find happiness when you can and use these lessons. So, 
Um, everyone, you're very, very, very welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I will try to get this talk up as fast as possible. Um, normally they go up on Tuesdays, but my company that I work for closes between Christmas and New Year. So the last week of the year is just nonstop like chaos for me. So I might try to just grind it out and get it up as quick as I can because I won't have time this week. Um, so I'll, I'll see. Um, but yeah, if you can, um, I normally am very bad at sharing about donating, but if you can, um, you know, uh, Jay shared a little bit about the passing of the, our financial guy. Uh, we have been getting some money from very generous, you know, donations from everyone that's listening. So if you can, um, we try to make it as easy as possible. Um, you just go to, uh, you know, the revolutionchurch.com, click on donate and it should be there. Uh, and the main reason why um, I'm pushing it now is because it's, you know, tax deductible. So get it in on this calendar year. Uh, anything helps really. We do sincerely, sincerely have um, plans for um, revolution and we want to be able to execute them. You know, it does keep flip-flopping of, can we keep this going? I say we because I'm helping Jay out, but, um, you know, it's really his baby. So we want to try to to keep it going because it's really important stuff. And I do believe that um, it's getting like it focuses on a lot of the stuff that um, other churches gloss over for the sake of, um, you know, dogma or agenda or or something Um and I'm not saying it's malicious when they do that. I think they just, that's what they believe in. And I think that this is very important work and we would like to keep it going. So any little bit helps. So if you could donate, that would be great. I would love to stick around and talk um, to chat, but my wife's Christmas concert starts in less than an hour. And I think it's a half hour away. So I do have to leave, but thank you so much. I hope this was good and made sense. And we will. Um, you know what? I can't say what's going on next week because I really do not know because it's the day after Christmas. So I'm sure there'll be messages online about service. So um, thank you all. And we will talk again soon and I'll see you guys online. You're the best. I don't even know how to end this. So I'm going to just end it now um, with a sign off. Thank you, everybody. And have a great holiday season, right? Christmas is in a week, uh, less than a week. And uh, I think Hanukkah started, starts today, maybe. So everybody, um, and there's other holidays that I do not know the dates enough to say, but everyone just have a wonderful holiday season. Be safe, love each other, love yourself and try to, um, continue to find joy in our meaningless existence. And I say that in a good way. So thank you so much. And we will, um, Talk later. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.